Chapter Three of the Orange Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Orange Fairy Book by Andrew Lang. Story of the King Who Would See Paradise. Once upon a time, there was King who, one day out hunting, came upon a fakir in a lonely place in the mountains. The fakir was seated on a little old bedstead, reading the Koran, with his patched cloak thrown over his shoulders. The king asked him what he was reading, and he said he was reading about paradise, and praying that he might be worthy to enter there. Then they began to talk, and by and by the king asked the fakir if he could show him a glimpse of paradise, for he found it very difficult to believe in what he could not see. The fakir replied, that he was asking a very difficult and perhaps a very dangerous thing, but that he would pray for him, and perhaps he might be able to do it. Only he warned the king both against the dangers of his unbelief and against the curiosity which prompted him to ask this thing. However, the king was not to be turned from his purpose, and he promised the fakir always to provide him with food if he in return would pray for him. To this the fakir agreed, and so they parted. Time went on, and the king always sent the old fakir his food according to his promise. But, whenever he sent to ask him when he was going to show him paradise, the fakir always replied, Not yet, not yet. After a year or two had passed by, the king heard one day that the fakir was very ill. Indeed, he was believed to be dying. Instantly he hurried off himself, and found that it was really true, and that the fakir was even then breathing his last. There and then the king besought him to remember his promise, and to show him a glimpse of paradise. The dying fakir replied that if the king would come to his funeral, and, when the grave was filled in, and everyone else was gone away, he would come and lay his hand upon the grave, he would keep his word and show him a glimpse of paradise. At the same time he implored the king not to do this thing, but to be content to see paradise when God called him there. Still the king's curiosity was so aroused that he would not give way. Accordingly, after the fakir was dead and had been buried, he stayed behind when all the rest went away, and then, when he was quite alone, he stepped forward and laid his hand upon the grave. Instantly the ground opened, and the astonished king, peeping in, saw a flight of rough steps, and at the bottom of them the fakir sitting, just as he used to sit, on his rickety bedstead, reading the Koran. At first the king was so surprised and frightened that he could only stare, but the fakir beckoned to him to come down, so, mustering up his courage, he boldly stepped down into the grave. The fakir rose, and, making a sign to the king to follow, walked a few paces along a dark passage. Then he stopped, turned solemnly to his companion, and, with a movement of his hand, drew aside as it were a heavy curtain, and revealed, What? No one knows what was there shown to the king, nor did he ever tell anyone. But when the fakir at length dropped the curtain, and the king turned to leave the place, he had had his glimpse of paradise. Trembling in every limb, he staggered back along the passage, and stumbled up the steps out of the tomb into the fresh air again. The dawn was breaking. It seemed odd to the king that he had been so long in the grave. It appeared but a few minutes ago that he had descended, passed along the few steps to the place where he had peeped beyond the wheel, and returned again after perhaps five minutes of that wonderful view. And what was it he had seen? 
He racked his brains to remember, but he could not call to mind a single thing. How curious everything looked, too! Why, his own city, which by now he was entering, seemed changed and strange to him. The sun was already up when he turned into the palace gate and entered the public Durbar Hall. It was full. A chamberlain came across and asked him why he sat unbidden in the king's presence. "'But I am the king!' he cried. "'What king?' said the chamberlain. "'The true king of this country,' said he indignantly. Then the chamberlain went away and spoke to the king who sat on the throne, and the old king heard words like mad, age, compassion. Then the king on the throne called him to come forward, and, as he went, he caught sight of himself reflected in the polished steel shield of the bodyguard, and started back in horror. He was old, decrepit, dirty, and ragged. His long white beard and locks were unkempt, and straggled all over his chest and shoulders. Only one sign of royalty remained to him, and that was the signet ring upon his right hand. He dragged it off with shaking fingers and held it up to the king. "'Tell me who I am,' he cried. "'There is my signet, who once sat where you sit, even yesterday.' The king looked at him compassionately and examined the signet with curiosity. Then he commanded, and they brought out dusty records and archives of the kingdom, and old coins of previous reigns, and compared them faithfully. At last the king turned to the old man, and said, Old man, such a king as this, whose signet thou hast, reigned seven hundred years ago, but he is said to have disappeared, none know whither. Where got you the ring? Then the old man smote his breast, and cried out a loud lamentation, for he understood that he, who was not content to wait patiently to see the paradise of the faithful, had been judged already. And he turned and left the hall without a word, and went into the jungle, where he lived for twenty-five years, a life of prayer and meditation, until at last the angel of death came for him, and mercifully released him, purged and purified through his punishment. End of story of the king who would see paradise.